Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And there's a new paranormal show on the Travel Channel that you have to check out if you're not already watching. It's a paranormal investigation show called The Holzer Files. And it's led by a couple guys that you know well. Uh, my good friend uh, Dave Schrader from Beyond the Darkness podcast, who's going to be on uh, the Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea Part Deux. He was there for part one. And another multiple Talk is Jericho alumni, Gabe Roth, uh, Eli uh, Roth, younger brother is the researcher on the team who identifies the cases and locations for Dave to further investigate such an unlikely dream team of two uh, very good friends of mine, but very excited for them because all the cases that they are investigating and talking about are from the files of America's first ghost hunter, the legendary Hans Holzer. He's the guy who inspired Dan Aykroyd to write and star in Ghostbusters. Uh, And today, Dave and Gabe take us behind the scenes of the show and share some of the spookier moments they've had during filming, along with some of the terrifying experiences that happened off camera. They also tell us about Hans and the hundreds of cases that he investigated and documented with photos, video, and audio. Dave and Gabe also preview a few of the upcoming episodes of The Holzer Files as well. Very crazy, creepy stuff. Uh, So get ready for your heart to race and your palms to sweat because this is serious, creepy, terrifying uh, stories for Dave Schrader and Gabe Roth. All right, so it's interesting. I got two uh, good friends here uh, and Dave Schrader from Beyond the Darkness who is about ready to make his second appearance consecutively on the Chris Jericho Rock and Wrestling Ranger at Sea and a frequent guest of Talk is Jericho and Gabe Roth, another frequent guest of Talk is Jericho, someone I've known for... 13, 14 years. Uh, we've done a lot of podcasts with his brother Eli about slasher films and uh, 80s sex, sex comedies. Sex comedies. So, um, very unlikely duo. Uh, and tell me how you guys <laughs> met. It's one of those things when you guys sent me a picture of the two of you. I'm like, you guys know each other? So, yeah, we're doing a show together. I'm like, what? So, kind of fill us in on, on how this uh, connection happened and, and about, about the show and, and, and uh, all the stuff that's surrounding it. Well, you know, I'd, I'd been lucky enough with the uh, new TV show, The Holzer Files. I was the last person to do a radio interview with Hans Holzer, the uh, um, kind of star of our show, and uh, became good friends with his daughter, Alexandra. So I I was lucky enough to score the role. And then bringing us together, they introduced us to the rest of the team. Alexandra Holzer will be a part of the program to kind of connect us between what we're doing now and what her father's thoughts were. Uh, Cindy Kays is the medium on our show who does uh, amazing work on site at these locations. We have a tech named Shane Pittman who is good at setting up all the equipment, setting up experiments and and evaluating our evidence. And then I was introduced to Gabe Roth who is going to be doing a lot of the background research on each one of these cases, sifting through the file cabinets and boxes upon boxes of audio, video, and handwritten notes and documents. And that was really my first introduction uh, to Gabe was at our headquarters and, and sitting down, getting to know one another. And and that's when we found out that we had a common friend involved in this. And uh, here, here we are now. Yeah, I was I was uh, working on a show called Evil Things that the production company, company Painless Television, was making. They are the same production company that's doing the Holzer Files. And um, while I was producing that show, the head of the company was telling me that he had gotten all the rights to Hans Holzer's research. And uh, I knew who he was just because uh, Dan Aykroyd based his character on Ghostbusters on, on Holzer. Uh, the Amityville Horror case, Holzer was the investigator for that case. That's his story. And so I knew 
who he was. And I basically said to Jim, I will run coffee. I will do whatever you need because uh, I want to be on that show. And this was a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago, three years ago. So it took them a long time to go through it. And then uh, eventually they said they really need somebody to like figure out which cases to reopen. So Alexandra, his daughter, uh, Hans died like 10 years ago. And Alexandra has all of his 16 millimeter films from his seances, all of his reel to reel recordings that he has uh, and all of his files. So Alexandra and I basically started by going through everything. Well, we haven't gotten through it all. It's a lot. And uh, she initially started out by sending me a giant stack of books that all smelled like Hans's cigar smoke. And uh, that was interesting. And uh, once we finally got into the basement and uh, I got to meet up with Dave, he and I hit it off right away talking about things like ghost hunting, Hans Holzer's and the monkeys. <laughs> yeah, which all go hand in hand. So I guess the, the name that you guys have mentioned quite a few times into the uninitiated, who is Hal Holzer. Hans Holzer. Sorry, Hans Holzer. Well, I wonder who Hal Holzer is as well. Uh, and yeah, we, we don't know him yet. <laughs> That's Hans Holzer. Hans Holzer was kind of the preeminent ghost hunter. He really kind of brought it to the forefront. He's considered one of the godfathers of the paranormal. Uh, you know, he, he wrote over 140 books on everything from witches to UFOs to ghostly phenomena, poltergeist, uh, all of that. And he would put himself hands-on in these um, investigations. And in most cases, he would use a trance medium to go there, try to peel through the layers of time and get a chance to connect with these spirits to see why they're still there. And, and his job was really trying to help these spirits cross over. And listening to these audio tapes, I have such reverence for the guy now because he has the most patient, caring voice. And even when the spirits are coming through the mediums, and sometimes the audios really freaky, Chris, I'm going to be honest with you. Hans remains calm through it all and keeps the upper hand and helps to usher these spirits through to the other side. And his work as Gabe was saying has inspired, um, Dan Aykroyd to, uh, create a lot of the things from Ghostbusters uh, and the Aykroyd family themselves are four generations deep of paranormal investigators in, in real life, not just his, his, uh, you know, Ghostbusters persona, but um, he was inspired by the work of Hans Holzer and uh, goes on record as saying that he was a big influence in his life. So Hans Holzer really kind of helped to set new ways in, in something he created called the Holzer method of investigating. That's interesting. And just a quick little segue. I was thinking the reason why I said Hal Holzer is I was getting confused with Hal Holbrook uh, right. from Creepshow. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, Hal Holbrook was not much of a ghost hunter. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, and I know Dave, like you said, you've been making kind of a, fo a foray into television now from Beyond the Darkness. And so, I guess when you're talking about the Holzer files, are you going out on site and 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 finding out some of these files? Like, w what are the files? Are they just are they giving you clues? Are you then going out and finding people that know about these things, or how are you constructing the episodes from each file? That's where Gabe comes in because he's our first first line of defense. So, Gabe, maybe you can explain what you do with the files, how you get them yeah. in our hands. Yeah, essentially, the files are giant stacks of moldering, dusty folders sitting in Alexandra Holzer's basement. Uh, and then also the 16 millimeter films. So the first thing I watched is the films. And those are usually uh, Hans with his trance medium. Um, he's got a couple of trusty trance mediums that he used to go to Ethel Myers and Sybil Leak. 
and uh, they were he would just set up cameras and film the the all of the seances, and they're quite freaky if you watch them, especially if you're sitting alone in the basement for like eight hours. So uh, we started with the films and then the audio recordings, and then we started seeing okay. Because we have to, we're making a television show as well, so the cases had to be interesting uh, visually or with some interesting audio. So we'd start there, and then we'd go back to his files. He saved every single letter from anyone that was ever reaching out to him and wanting some help. So we could go through all of his correspondences with people, and it was a, it was a long process. It was pretty uh, labor intensive, but it was a lot of fun. So then from there, we sort of started to see who we could reach out to like the uh, the first episode of the season was the house in rye new york that had three or four generations of people living there that never knew each other that all were reporting the same hauntings and so hans had been back a few times to investigate that same house and uh so cases like that seem pretty obvious where people who didn't know each other over many decades or a century and a half in this case we're all seeing the same thing and we'd reach out to the families and a lot of times the families were happy to talk to us because uh, Hans had brought them some relief in their life. He, they, he had come to them at a time of great stress and uh, was able to give them some kind of closure. So we would see if there was anything still happening after the fact at these houses and sometimes there was. And so that those are the cases that we thought, okay, Dave should take over and go visit this house and see what's going on. So Gabe tells you, Dave, here's some ideas, here's some leads. Then what do you do uh, to continue the case? Well, we would, as you see at the beginning of our episodes, we sit down with Alexandra and, and Gabe kind of introduces me to these cases. You know, then we'll kind of foray over to uh, um, Alexandra so we can get some insights from her of what she remembers from her father's work on that case and any insights she may give us. It's it's very much like a detective book. I mean, we're working through these angles, and then when we go out in the field, Gabe is is busy in the background setting up interviews with experiencers, past homeowners, you know, people that we might want to speak to, historians, and then I go out there and, and start connecting with them on the ground while he's back at headquarters going through the next box of files. And uh, that's pretty much how it plays out. And once we get there, we uncover some great things. And sometimes the guests themselves will tell us, you know, you should really talk to my friend. She had an experience here. And then that'll keep it moving. But you're right. Each piece is a small fleck of evidence. And it's it's been fun putting this together. It's a crazy puzzle. And every episode has got this really kind of deep-rooted historical mystery to it. And I really like that aspect of doing the show. And that's part of what drew me to it was... You know, you think, oh, well, Hans already investigated this. What is there to tell you? Well, Hans believed that no investigation's ever truly over. And that just because one thing may have been buttoned up doesn't mean that there aren't other things that are still going on there. And that's what Gabe's been great at finding for us with these cases is stories where Hans left them, but knew that there was still something more to tell. And when he reaches out to the place and they still have activity, that was uh, kind of our golden ticket in. And we got access to places that... People have not been in since Hans Holzer was there 40 or 50 years ago. So Hans was kind of doing his thing back like in the 50s or 40s or 60s or? Yeah, it was you know, kind of the 60s, 70s, 80s that he was really, you know, at his peak. He kept investigating all through his entire life, but uh, passed away in the early 2000s. I think it was 2007, 2008. He was still out there and researching and investigating these claims, but uh, it, he had slowed down considerably from the thousands of cases he had done earlier. 
But some of these places just, you know, once Hans had been there, people, and he'd written about him in his books, people have come knocking on their door and they wouldn't allow anybody else in until we came along with the Hans Holzer name. And then they were willing to let us come back in and, and re-examine. The 70s are such a cool time in the 60s because you had like, you know, we were talking the other day on one of our shows about how there was superstar rock star photographers. Like you knew the Bob Gruens and the Niels Lozowers and the Mark Weisses. Same thing with Ghost Hunters because you have this whole legend, this whole collection of movies based around the Warrens, Ed and Leslie Warren. And then now we're talking about Hans Holzer. There's nobody, I guess Dave Schrader's the, the, the new age version of a, of a rock star ghost hunter uh, in, in this day and age. Well, I, I appreciate that, but uh, I, I think I'm lacking the uh, the head banging hair to go with the rock star image. I'm more like the kindly uncle of the rock star whose uh, side well, job I, is ghost hunt. So I know for Christmas I'm going to get you some elbow patches, and then you'll be halfway there. Uh, and, and a pipe. And a pipe. Perhaps. I was just going to say something. Yeah. But let's let's go through some of the episodes here because they've got uh, and then some of them have already started to air, and there's some that, that are coming up. But you're talking about the, the house in Rye, New York. The episode's called Phantoms of Fire. Gabe, why did you point the guys and girls in this direction? And what did you see, Dave, when you when you went there? This was the first one that jumped out at me when I before I even started on the show, um, I was handed a book of uh, some of the Hans's cases by Painless. And this one immediately I knew we had to do. So it started in the 60s. There was a portrait painter. Her name was Molly Guillaume. She was um famous all over the world. Uh, she would paint like Queen Elizabeth or she would paint the governor of New York. And uh, she lived in this house in the 1960s and she started seeing, she and her husband both were seeing uh, apparitions of a little girl and they were having water that from running from the walls when there were no pipes leaking and there was a lot of slamming doors and things like that. And she was also kind of funny lady. She also like had to have pay phones in her house and weird stuff like that. But she was known all over the world and uh, she was well-respected. And so she did this painting of this little girl. Her name was Lottie Peck. And Lottie was a little girl that had lived originally in the house back in the 1800s. And Lottie's father was the master of port in New York City. And Lottie had died up in the attic in a fire. She got stuck up there and tried to burn her way out with a candle and died in a fire up there. So now fast forward to the 80s and there was a family called the Barents family. No connection to Molly Guillaume, no connection to the Peck family, you know, 100 something years uh, earlier. And the Barent family started seeing apparition and having similar uh, similar phenomenon that the Guillaume, that Molly Guillaume did. And eventually in the attic, uh, Barbara Barent, the mother, found the painting that Molly Guillaume had done Lottie Peck, the little girl apparition. She hung it up and everything stopped. There was no more activity in the house. And I just found that so fascinating. First of all, you had the just the American history of the master of port for New York living there at a time when that was a huge port for the whole country. Then you had this world-famous artist living there. And then you had this regular everyday family living there. And none of them knew each other. They all had similar experiences. They were all connected through, through the little girl Lottie. So that, to me, felt like a no-brainer to reinvestigate and to find out what's going on. On it. How in the world could an apparition be satisfied by her painting being hung up on the wall? So, Dave, you can take it from there. Yeah, it was just, it was crazy. And once they hung this painting up, all activity ceased. But then across town, 
on property, um, all of a sudden this paranormal activity seemed to just kind of awaken there. And that's where we found a really interesting part of the story. Here there was this parallel, and it turns out that both families that owned the two different properties were related, and both had children that were, I guess, dealing with different deficiencies, health and mental deficiencies, and were treated very poorly. And we think that each one just wanted their story to be told. Each one wanted to be remembered and not relegated to just a burden to their family. And it was a touching episode. It was great. And there were some scary as hell moments. Our, our tech, Shane, something reached through a wall, grabbed him by the neck while he was sitting in this closet area where they used to allegedly keep the boy and sent him out of his skin. Uh, and we were hearing cries and footsteps and things moving around us. It was It was insanely active. But I feel that we really kind of confronted what was there. And I hope we brought some peace to the spirits, letting them know they wouldn't be forgotten. And that's kind of been our our nice wheelhouse is that we're able to dig a little deeper than some of the other shows and some other parts of history have gone and find something relatable to what exactly is taking place in these houses. And our, our second episode that just aired a, a little bit ago, which was, again, another really kind of profound episode and and allowed us to go in and investigate a very historic site in New York City called the uh, Morris Jumel Mansion. And Chris, I know you like history. This place has it all. George Washington used it as a stronghold during the war. Aaron Burr lived there. It was married to her at a point. You know, uh, Hamilton had been there. Every dignitary had gone through the doors of that place at one time or another. And when Hans Holzer and Ethel visited, I think in like 1968, they helped to cross Mr. Jamel over, but Miss Jamel refused to leave. But she's always been there. And, and that is one of the most famous ghost stories that's been most publicized because it was seen by a large group of people uh, in, I think it was 68, uh, 69 when this took place. It, it's a museum, a historic museum. And a, a group of kids were there for a field trip with their teachers and some other adults. And they're out there making noise in the yard and talking and laughing and giggling. And the woman comes out from the top door and shushes everybody, tells them to be quiet. And then she returns to the house and everybody's like, oh, geez, okay. The teachers calm them down. The docent shows up to let him in and the teachers apologize for bothering the employee inside. And she said, there is no employee. She goes, well, you had somebody in period dress who came out and hushed us. And she said, no, that we don't have anybody here. And when they walked in, there's a huge portrait of Mrs. Jamel. And everybody's jaw hit the floor because that was the woman they saw come out on the veranda and hush them. And that was witnessed by so many different people of every different age, race, and and uh, kind of place in life. And it hit major newspapers. That's why they brought in Holmes Holzer to kind of examine this. And the story behind that was really great because we found out so much about the Rick rich texture of the the neighborhoods and the kind of activity that was taking place there was quite overwhelming at times. We were hearing screams, uh, footsteps, lights were flickering on and off in communication with us. It was really an amazing investigation in history to get a chance to be steeped in, knowing all the people that have been through there were now part of that history. And I, I take that very, uh, very much to heart. It's interesting, too, when you mentioned that Aykroyd got a lot of ideas from the Holzer files. I mean, shushing in the hallway in the library, that's totally right. directly from the beginning of the first Ghostbusters, if you remember that. One of the things that I've, I've found from doing a little bit of a reading to your show is that people are really uh, feeling that a lot of Ghost Hunter shows are some smoke and mirrors, but yours actually has a lot of 
real things happening on camera and actual experiences that are seem very legit in comparison to other quote unquote ghost hunting shows. How long would you have to go into some of these places to film Dave and how long before things started to happen, shall we say? Well, you know, we film in a location for about five days, doing interviews, doing everything. And in some cases, like the Morris Jumel Mansion, Chris, just in the preliminary walkthrough, we had crazy activity. That's when we heard the screams and footsteps above us. When I was doing an interview with one of the experiencers, a woman shrieked from upstairs and stopped us all dead in our tracks. We saw shadow people moving around. So while we were just there filming you know, B-roll stuff and, and interviews, we were getting activity. So it was, it wanted to be known. And, you know, in some of these places were there six, seven hours investigating, you know, but then we're there over the course of four or five days, 12 to 13 hours a day filming and kind of, I, I really want to be there at all times, just kind of steeped in the history and see if anything occurs. I, I would just like to point out, Chris, that one of the first things I told the production and I told Alexandra and Dave was that I've never seen a ghost and I'm quite skeptical and I would like to see one. I believe that energy doesn't die. It just transfers. And so I think there's something to that. And so whenever Dave goes, goes somewhere, the, the first thing I ask him is, well, is it possible that it was just the electricity? Is that, is it possible that somebody on the crew was just messing with you guys and flicker? Like last night's episode, there's a whole sequence where the lights are flickering and he's talking to these lights that are dimming. And Dave and I had a whole long conversation about like, how would it have worked if someone on the crew was just messing with them? Because I would, I, like, I just would have to be there. I'm skeptical. I always think that the, you know, it's like a Occam's razor, right? Like the, the, the most logical explanation, the easiest way is probably the way it is. But Dave, Dave is pretty darn convincing when he, when he, when we talk it all through. And so it's been a lot of fun for me as like a real skeptic to see that what's actually happening on screen is the real deal. And I, at this point, I do believe it. I believe that everybody that's there, including the crew, is seeing something unusual and they're seeing some kind of phenomenon. I'm hopefully next season I can get out and get in the field and see it for myself because I'd like to poke around as well. Well, it's interesting too because once again, that we have such a, a great relationship based around the horror movies, and obviously as friends too. But that's what that's what connected your brother Eli and, and myself, and then you as well. So it's interesting for me to hear, even with such a horror background and being part of a horror movie family that you're still skeptical when it comes to actually seeing ghosts and believing in the, in the concept of ghosts. Uh, you know, you feel that you're, you're a Roth. Obviously you, you believe in all of those things. Well, the other, the other side of that is, well, I'm a Roth, which means that we've worked on a lot of movies. <laughs> so right, right, right. I, I know, I know how the, uh, some of these magic tricks are done. So uh, when I watch a lot of ghost hunting shows, when I've seen them, I, I kind of just feel like there a lot of them are BS. And with this one, I I was interested in it, particularly because of Hans Holzer. Hans is the kind of guy that would fly somewhere or drive a long way to get someplace, walk into a house and be like, not haunted, and just leave. So there's a lot of cases, uh, I saw a lot of files, where he just... It was a very quick file. He just disregarded the case outright. So it wasn't like he was trying to make something happen someplace. The place was either haunted or it wasn't. So from the baseline, I knew that we were going into these cases uh, with somebody that also seemed to be kind of skeptical, you know, uh, uh, right at right from jump back 50, 60 years ago. So that helps quite a bit as well. 
And it, you know, it also helps that we're part of a production team that has high standards and morals. They don't want to present junk. They want, they want everybody that's watching this to feel confident that it's exactly as it's coming off. And that was important for me. I was, you know, I've been offered TV shows for the last decade. I wasn't interested in being a paranormal investigator for fear that there was going to be shenanigans behind the scenes, but the, uh, uh, you know, being a part of the Holzer files, it was too big a treat to, to get a chance to walk away from. And I went in and told them, I said, you know, I don't want any crap. I don't want any false evidence. I, and they've to their credit, to their credit, they're like, no, we God, no, that'd make us all look stupid. We get what we get. If we get nothing, we present nothing. And they actually allow us to capture our own evidence. And then it's in my hands or in Shane's hands the whole time. So when we're reviewing it and we're finding that evidence, it's not like it's been doctored or given to anybody. We've had control of it from the minute we filmed it and recorded it until the minute we do the reveal. So I'm confident that what we're seeing and experiencing and, and having take place is real because we never give control away of our evidence until we've actually already talked about it on screen. Our, our production company, to their credit, they've got to give a lot of control up because they let us review this and then we're presenting it to them as much as, as we're presenting it to each other with what we've uncovered. And there have been great comments from cast and crew who have worked on other paranormal shows. And I've had cast and crew come up to me and go, that was the scariest thing I've ever had happen. And I've been doing this for 14 years, Dave. That is terrifying what we just heard or what we just saw or how the hell could that be real? And they're like, it's great to watch when things start going south and a lot of paranormal activity takes up, you know, starts going, I'll look over at the camera guys and their eyes are as big as saucers. Mm. And you can see that every fiber of their being is telling them to drop that camera and get the hell out of there. But they know this is their <laughs> job and their livelihood. But they've, you know, our crew have been impacted and affected by it. You know, the the upcoming episode at Whaley House, I thought, what could we possibly uncover? This place has been featured in books, magazines, uh, TV shows. Every TV show has been to the Whaley House. What could we finally add to this story? And man, to the credit of everybody on this production company and Gabe's research and, and Alexandra's insights, we were able to uncover parts of the story and they gave us unprecedented access to original letters. We find out that the, the family that lived there, the Whaley's were also haunted. So it wasn't just that we're dealing with the ghosts of the Whaley family here. They had something that was terrifying them when they lived there over a hundred plus years ago. And in that episode, I, uh, I have something happen to me, Chris, that in 13 years of investigating has never once occurred. I get knocked on my ass wow. by some un unseen force. I mean, and it drives me into Shane and that poor guy not only gets hit by me, but he gets hit into the wall. And I hit the ground like a, a sack of potatoes. I've never had anything happen. I turned thinking one of the crew members had to be screwing with me and giving me a shove or a push. There's nobody around me. And that took me off my game. I got to be honest with you. You think you're prepared for anything going into these places. I'm ready. I go in. I understand there's ghosts. I understand we may see scary things. But to have something physically hit me like a linebacker and drill me into my buddy I can't even begin to tell you how unprepared I was for that. Well, Dave, wait, wait, let's, in fairness, the best thing that happened all season also happened. We just don't know if it's going to make air because it kind of happened off camera and Dave got a little bit violated by that same spirit, right? Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> when we were there, Chris, we're, you know, this was our, like our first shoot 
And they're telling me, uh, you know, Dave, if you, while we're filming, man, you're the paranormal investigator. If something's happening while you're doing an interview, don't stick to the interview, do what you do. I'm like, okay, cool. Whatever. So we're up there and we're in the, the Whaley house and we're, we're getting a tour by the guide and she's explaining to us all the weird things that happened. And she starts telling us that there's this male spirit that does not like men in authority and he is known to mess with them. So I just start thinking to myself, what can I do to seem authoritative? What can I do to seem like I'm in charge here? Just enough to drive this thing crazy, but not be like combative or rude to the ghost. What would be authoritative, you know, and, and have that vibe. And as I'm thinking that, Chris, something, <laughs> it's so weird to even say this, something yanks my underwear down <laughs> inside my pants while I'm wearing them. I feel this and I buckle in front of the camera and I turn and, the, you know, our camera guys are like, are you okay? Did you almost black out? I'm like, no, I, uh, I don't know how to say this. And I don't even know that I want to say this, but something just pulled my pants down and they're like, What? So I walked around the corner with Shane, my tech. I'm like, look at this. And I, I dropped, literally just unleashed my pants and drop them. And my underwear's pulled down past my ass. What? This thing jerked my pants on. Like, like you have no authority here, Dave. You can't be authoritative. If you tried, I'm in control. This thing just tried to embarrass the hell out of me. And it was or it's really just a Randy ghost. Yeah, or that. Well, actually, what you what you don't know is the Whaley House is is haunted by the ghost of Moe and Curly Howard. Exactly. I think is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's before we get into that. Once again, like I, I want to take it one step back because I've done a couple shows like this, and there has been a few of the. Come on, guys! You didn't have to drop the you know the coin from seventeen twenty two in the sand right in front of me. But there was a few times when, especially when we went to the swamps of New Orleans, looking for spirits and ghosts and some voodoo things where I could feel it inside my 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 body that this wasn't right. There's nobody flashing lights off and on. That's all fine and dandy. But there's a certain feeling you get as a as a mammal, as an animal, knowing that like I got to flee. Like you mentioned, I got to get the hell out of here. This isn't right. What do you feel like when you get knocked down? by a spirit and you know it's not some guy dressed in black that was sent by central casting to give you a shove well that's the beautiful thing this thing was captured on camera from like three different angles so there's nobody anywhere near me we had heard i I don't want to give away all of it but we had heard a very interesting audible sound a live sound that took place that ties in with the history of this place and we were playing back the evp listening to it And in the EVP, you hear me keep challenging the ghost over and over to make its presence known, make its presence known. We played it back like three or four times, and it was like the third or fourth time that all of a sudden, boom, underneath my rib cage, something just shoves me, and I go slamming into Shane, and I hit the ground. I stood up pissed thinking, who's screwing with me? Let's knock this off. This is, you know, this is my first episode. I don't want to look like an idiot. And I stand up, but my back hurt so bad. My ribs hurt so bad. And I was so shaken. I I walked right out of the house. I'm like, I got to go clear my head. I walked out of the house. Um, one of our execs from the network was there. She was watching this happen. After she checked on me, she turned to the production people and she's like, somebody walked me to my car. I want to go now. I don't want to be here. And that was it. And that's how I felt. I was like, you know, you go in. You expect to have some kind of activity because of the stories. We uncovered something, Chris, 
that has been dormant there for a long time, has never been named. And we named it and we, we called out to it and it didn't like that it was suddenly taken from the dark and put underneath the glaring spotlight. And it was letting me know you, you don't belong here. And it dropped me like a load of potatoes, like I said, and that, that freaked me out. I got, I was outside for a good half an hour, kind of catching my breath, pulling myself together. And then they're like, let's go, Dave, we'll get you out of here. I'm like, screw that. I got to go back in. They're like, what are you talking about? You just got knocked on your ass. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm not going to let it know it, it, it can do that to me. I'm going back in and I walk back in and again, I'm at the mercy of editing. I have no clue what makes the episode or not, but I went back in and I addressed the spirits and I'm like, Hey, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be rude to you, but you know, you don't have this kind of authority. You're not, you're not allowed to touch. You're not allowed to do these things anymore. Um, you have to, you know, make your presence known in other ways. And I, I went in and confronted and then we, you know, had some more of the investigation that took place and then we, we called it a night, but you know, it had been a long night by that point already. And I fought every primal urge to leave and not go back. And I just had to go back recently to do an interview for TV guide and walk one of the, the reporters through and talk about what was going on. And you feel kind of foolish. Cause you're like, you know, I, I get, I get knocked down. I had something grab me. I had these weird experiences. And then lo and behold, while we're there, the reporter had an experience of her own, nothing violent, thankfully, but she had, she came into contact with one of the ghosts of the Whaley house. So it was, it was, reaffirming to me that, okay, Dave, you're not nuts. This, this happened. There are things going on here. So it's, it, it definitely takes you off your, your game when it, when it occurs, because it's, it's profound. It's, it's really kind of, uh, I don't, I don't know that you're ever prepared to have something physically attack you. Yeah. Well, and then, and then how did you feel when they tried to pull your pants down? Well, after that happened, like I said, it was this embarrassment and, shock and awe you know i mean i'm i'm in there trying to do an interview i'm just it'll let you know too that you don't have to verbalize what you're thinking to the spirit realm all i was doing was thinking what can i do to come off authoritative and seem like i'm in control here and this thing just whisked down my pants and let me know hey you you have no control here you have none pal and that was it was embarrassing it was you know in hindsight you can sit back and laugh about it but at the time it's really weird, Chris. I don't know how else to explain it, but it's this violation. You're like something had control that I couldn't do anything about. And that's, that's really alarming. Yeah. You have no control. You're very helpless, right? That's kind of the overlying thing when all of these things start going down. That's why I hope Gabe gets to go out on the road with us at least for an episode or two, because I want him to feel this so that, you know, the skeptic in him can, uh, what do they say? A skeptic is just a believer who has not yet had his own experience. Well, that's what I want. That's what yeah. I want. Look, there's a lot of things that happen. Like, for example, in doing all this research, I can, I'm in Hans's head a little bit. Like, he doesn't believe in poltergeists. Like, he thinks poltergeists are just simply the noisy physical part of a haunting. And that, um, that the ghosts are just people that haven't been able to pass over to the other side. He believes that we were born, there's two parts of us, they're both physical, and then you just pass over to that other side. Um, and that there are no such thing as demons, and demons just a Greek work for ghosts. And like, So like when, when I hear about these attacks, they're kind of interesting because some of it is a little bit counter to what Holzer used to talk about. And you see on all of his tapes and all of his films, he's so relaxed. He's never worried about having being physically harmed at all. But 
you see it. You see things moving around. You see things breaking. And as in length with Dave, he got shoved. So, you know, I, I'm wondering if like there's a way to sort of continue Hans's work and to help it develop. Um, he famously said, no technology. All you needed was a transmedium. And he didn't believe in any of that. And now since he's passed over, Alexandra's daughter has said that uh, she, her father communicates with her in various ways, sometimes moving books around, things like that, but has communicated with her through this technology that he used to say was garbage before. So it's possible that Hans, some of Hans's methods have have room to be improved. Well, and you have to be aware that, you know, at his time, there were no pieces of equipment that were designed specifically to try to do this. We now have the advent of of engineers and inventors that are taking the theories behind uh, different aspects of the paranormal. Where is the visual perspective of uh, where these spirits realm? What is the audio lines? How can we build equipment that's sensitive enough to pick up the audio, to pick up the visual? And now we're in a, a totally different realm that I think had Hans Holzer had this available to him, although he might have been skeptical. At first, I think that the the equipment would have won him over because it would have been a way to tie him to the mediums. Because then not only would he know that the medium is having this experience, but he himself could be recording it and seeing it live as it occurs. Let me ask you a question. Dave, you mentioned that you had the last one of the last interviews with, with Hans um, before he passed away. What kind of a guy was he? You know, he was a no-nonsense guy and he was a staunch believer in everything that he did it wasn't this wasn't just a way to cash in or make money and he could have man people one of the episodes we do is called the ocean born mary house and in this chris there are so many layers to this story that is unbelievable i mean it's an amazing legend everything you could ever want there was pirates and babies and buried treasure and all of these things and then ghost stories and Hans Holzer was brought in to investigate, and everything that you could possibly want was there, including his medium connecting with spirits, but something wasn't lining up properly. He never gave it the official stamp of approval for being haunted. He he said, there's something here, but I can't discern if what the story you're telling me is true or not. So he never gave it an official thumbs up. And we go back in 50 years later and we find out why this guy was on some, he knew that there was problems. And we finally uncover the truth of the things he was not aware of at that time. You know, he didn't have Google. He didn't have newspapers.com. He didn't have a way to get the kind of research that we did or the contacts that we did. And he was right. And when we uncover the story piece by piece, this thing is a moving, you know, moving uh, jigsaw puzzle. And we finally put those pieces together and form a complete picture. And I really do feel that this case is one of the only cases this season you can finally put a stamp on and say, this case is, is closed. And that was important to me. If I can jump in, just if the question also is about who Hans was as a person, Hans had a lot of interesting beliefs. He was a Wiccan high priest. So uh, Alexandra can talk about, like, you know, when witches used to come. And actually, when Alexandra and I were in her basement, we uncovered some photos of Hans, like, nude in the forest with a bunch of witches, um, which will never see the light of day. That's just for me and Alexandra, for our, burned into our eyes for now, now forever. Poor Alexandra, I haven't seen her dad that way. And, uh, but he was an interesting guy. Like, he wasn't afraid of ghosts at all. Um, he felt like they were 
people that had died tragically and they were reliving their final moments over and over like a record needle stuck uh, on a scratch and that they weren't aware that they were dead and he felt like it was his job to help them finish off and to realize that it was okay for them to move over to the other side of life but he had a lot of things like he was the he was in he was th- he was a warlock and he didn't believe in religion though he really felt like religion was made up by humans to help us give us order to our life and that it was uh you didn't need it all you needed was the spirituality um so he was kind of an interesting guy. Um, he had other strange beliefs, like he felt like Ouija boards and possession, that it was possible. Like he felt like people that opened themselves up could be taken by a spirit that was hanging around um, and then bad things could happen. So he believed that if you were an alcoholic, you were going to be opened up to be possessed by spirits. Um, if you used the planchette on the or Ouija board, you were opening up uh, yourself to be taken over by spirits. But mostly felt like ghosts were not a problem you didn't need to be afraid of them they just were people that needed help finishing the act of of dying but and in his way of putting it going over to the other side and then he goes into he has all sorts of beliefs about reincarnation and things like that that we can talk about a whole other podcast very interesting stuff you know like i said i found from doing this when you're talking about some of the different people that have you know ghost hunting shows and and it's one of those things, whether there's some Hollywood trickery or not, where there's smoke, there's fire. And these people are much more attuned to, like you mentioned, to, to the spirits and the afterlife. And I feel that some people are very much conduits. So it would seem for sure Hans was one of those guys, specifically since he has so many files of all of this activity. Um, he must have had some kind of a, an affiliation with the afterlife for sure. Oh, yeah. He's made his presence known. Um, you know, like like uh, Gabe brought up, he's made his presence known to his family and has come through technology and has been there. So yeah, he definitely, you know, there's an affinity to the afterlife, and and I think that that was. I, I'm sure that that's where he enjoys being now is is being one with what he's investigated for the better part of his life. Yeah, he also married into a family that was in the lineage of Catherine the Great, and they used to have like seances and things like that. So it, it was almost like he was drawn to somebody that had the same sensibility or the same sensitivities. Um, so uh, the whole Holzer family has this history of for generations of seances and uh, connection with some other realm that most of us don't have any connection to. I in particular, which is one of the reasons I wanted to do this show is I wanted some evidence. I wanted some proof. Um, tell us uh, as we start to, to wind down here, tell us about some of the other uh, files that you unearthed and some of the interesting things that happened on both your ends, both for, for Gabe and for Dave. Well, I, it, these stories that, uh, that spread for generations those are the ones that really caught my attention. There's one in particular in Massachusetts and Barnstable that um, this it's like a law office now. And uh, the people that are there currently were drawn to this place, right? Like they, they didn't know why they ended up in this house. It, this house had been there for hundreds of years. And it turned out that Thomas Paine, uh, who wrote the pamphlet Common Sense, which was one of the inspirations for the American Revolution, had lived there. And she or she had a connection uh, through her family to him. And people through the generations were, without even realizing they were related to this family, kept coming back to this one place. And it's kind of like the Rye New York house. Um, and then there's another house 
where a woman had been having dreams about it and kept seeing it in her dreams and then drove by it one day, like on a road trip with her husband and then had to go to it. And it was a particularly strange house because Hans had always heard that it was haunted, but could never get there. Things kept stopping him from getting there, whether road closures or storms. Every time he tried to investigate and we had a chance to investigate something that Hans never was able to get to. So it was like those types of stories that really caught my attention that I felt like, okay, there was more to this and things that had generational effect or things that Hans couldn't quite crack for one reason or another. Dave? Yeah, and, and there's a story coming up. Uh, the, the episode is The Devil in Texas, this case that Hans Holzer was a part of. This family was dealing with a possession, an oppression, and an infestation of demonic activity. And Chris, when I say that, I don't say it lightly. Like, they would turn off the lights, and all of a sudden, they would start feeling something being pelted at them. They'd turn on the light 10 seconds later. The floor would be covered in dead and living insects covered. Oh my gosh. Like June bugs and things like that. And they would, you know, letters would apport. That means they would suddenly just be there and they'd float down from the ceiling. Uh, these threatening letters, loving letters, it was just so many bizarre aspects. And Hans Holzer tried to help this family out. And we, we have read, those letters, by the way. Yeah, we do have those letters and they're unbelievably creepy. And we, visit with the the remaining family member and we hear what the final story was and it sends us off because there's a new case that had come to my attention that was that paralleled that case very much and there was a woman that was reaching out to help uh, looking for help and we took the team out there so we kind of bridged Hans's original investigation with this case to a whole new case with very similar circumstances in current day and to me that was a very important moment. It was very powerful because we were there to help a, a woman who was at the end of a rope. And I think when people watch this, I think they're going to be very um, touched by the way this whole story plays out. It, it was it was one of my, my highlights of the year to be a part of that one. So how many episodes of the show are there? This season, we're doing 10, yeah. So I say this season because I'm, I'm putting it back out to the universe. We'll be back for multiple seasons. But yeah, this season, we're doing 10, and uh, they should be running through, I think, first week or two of December. When you um, are, are doing these shows, obviously, I mean, there's only so many files, but how many files are there, Gabe? Like, could you do another season, 10 seasons, five seasons? You know, Hans was doing this research for about four decades, and, you know, picture... 47 books worth of material. Wow. So books he wrote. So uh, like I said, I, I haven't gotten through even half of it, if, if even that much. It is an overwhelming amount of material to get through. So I, I, as we go, we'll just keep picking through the files. But there's certainly some major, like this first season, we went with some of his big cases because, you know, he wrote about them multiple times and he had the films on them. So I'm starting there with uh, the films and the audio recordings, uh, and then we'll keep going from there through the files. But easily, this thing could run for 10 seasons. We, uh, as we have an easy 100 episodes out of this for sure. Wow, that many. Yeah. People must have been contacting Hans from everywhere overseas there i mean we're, we have probably two seasons worth just of overseas cases that we could investigate but yeah here in the united states this guy was receiving 
you know, hundreds of, of regular handwritten letters a month. So we have cases that he couldn't get to. We have cases that he got to, but were perplexed by. We had cases that he got to and, and had things, you know, mysteriously happen to him. So we've got a lot of different aspects of the story that we can go in and reinvestigate. And that's exciting to know that that much exists, but to have the original letters, the original audios, the original film, uh, photographs, things like that, that, that he was so meticulous about presenting really brings a, a totally new nuance to the show. I, I'm just uh, looking through kind of some of the summaries and some that popped out to me because we've talked about a lot of these great episodes, but, but the Phantom crew, uh, is this kind of a Mary Celeste thing? You're talking about a warship with nothing on it? Or, or tell us a little bit about that background. The Constellation. Yeah, the USS Constellation is this amazing warship, and it, it lived many lives. Literally, it was a couple of different, a frigate and a warship. They ended up repurposing part of the ship into the new warship that, that you see, and it was integral in stopping slave trade. It was integral in different aspects of the wars. And maybe you can help me on this, uh, Gabe. I believe they even used this ship at one point during, was it World War One or World War II? They used it, I think, during World War who I can't remember now, but they they uh, but but what I I particularly found interesting about this one was um, you know okay so one of the most famous ghost hunters was this guy Harry Price and it, a lot of his stuff has now been proven fake because you you can chalk it up to double exposure photography and things like that and the 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 image on that you capture uh, at the constellation of the ghost is it's not as easy to chalk up to trick photography. And that that's particularly what caught, what caught my eye about it. And, you know, I, I shoot a lot of, uh, I shoot a lot. And so I, I understand how to make something look like a ghost with a camera. Um, but the, the, this image in particular really, I was kind of, I didn't know what to make of it. And so that's why this one in particular, in addition to the interesting history of it, it had a, a photograph that couldn't be written off quite so easily. And so many, so many people that did witness things, including we have a cop that comes on board. Yeah, a cop that's a current cop, and and we're you know I don't want to say which where he's based out of, but his story impacted him so much when he was about ten years old. He went there for a field trip and was uh, terrified by something that literally chased him off the ship. And he is an adult cop who has seen horrific things, murder, suicide, violence, unbelievable things, and he was physically shaken while we stood in in this ship again in the presence of this area he was in you could see it affecting him and there are others that we had on board that had the same feeling so it's 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 a really cool episode and i can't wait to to share and again something happens to me on that episode that has never happened in years of investigating so you know again physical contact but in a totally different way uh, and that only happened i think on I got breathed on on the first episode. Something snorted on the back of my neck and sent me jumping out of my skin. Uh, I get I get roughed up pretty good at the Whaley House, and then on the Constellation, something definitely lets me know it was there. And uh, I'll I'll probably even be posting a picture of it when that episode airs. I'll I'll shoot it over to you now, Chris, so you can see for yourself. But it was uh, it's a great story. And again. I love the history of these locations and just the history, knowing that you're walking on these ships and who was there before you and what took place and then uncovering the history behind it. 
you become part of the mystery and the history yourself being in these situations. And I think the viewers are picking up on that. They love the history as much as they seem to love the paranormal aspect of this because they're learning real history and they're learning not mocked up, you know, garbage that's found on Wikipedia pages, but we're, we're getting the real history from real historians, real books, real case logs, and we're able to present it in a way that's never been shown before. When, you know, earlier we spoke about, you know, Dave, you've seen things that you haven't experienced in 15 years and, and Gabe, you've been talking about, you're a little bit of a skeptic. How do you feel now after having 10 you know, episodes under your belt? And I'm sure months and months and months of research and, and investigations. Do you feel a little bit differently about what's out there uh, in the beyond? I do. I, I feel like I'm a little bit less of a skeptic, but I still want to see it with my own eyes, right? Like, because, like, again, I know the magic tricks that can happen, like with the flickering lights and sound effects and things like that. Um, so I want to be there on on one of these ghost hunts my, to see it myself. Uh, that said, through all this research, through all these films, I believe that the people on these 60 millimeter films, the transmediums, Hans, the people involved, I believe that they wholeheartedly believe what's happening. So I, I try to start there and go with an open mind, like knowing that they truly believe it. I, I, you watch these films, you sit there with it. Th there's no faking it that's happening uh, through this, through Hans's films and through his recordings. So I, for me, I still need to go to really truly believe it, but uh, I'm getting there. I'm getting there, especially talking to Dave, because I, I grill Dave about every episode after it airs. I'm like, what about that little thing that happened? That's BS. And we'll talk it through. So we did we before we did this uh, this podcast. Dave and I were talking about Morris Jamel and the things that I thought that could have been staged or fixed or BS, and we talked about all of it. Yeah, and it just doesn't happen. I wouldn't be a part of a program if they were doing this. I'd walk off in a heartbeat, and I, I appreciate the the crew and production. They stand by their principles, and and they don't want to do things just to make TV. And and they've told me that if we get nothing, we present nothing, Dave, I promise you that. And uh, because we've got control of the evidence the whole time and they've never had a problem with that. I, I think we're going to have a long, very good relationship that the fans can feel good about watching because they're getting the real deal. Last question for you. What's your uh, favorite episode that you filmed so far and researched? Well, for me, uh, I, I love Rye, New York. I love the Barnstable case because of uh, the history to the American Revolution and how even in present day, it's this active thing that's happening. Um, and I, I just find it, that one in particular, how family members that never knew they were connected can all come back to this one location. Uh, it's really a mind-blowing episode, um, and I can't wait to see how it is all cut together. I can't wait to hear the fan reaction to that one. Uh, that's the one Phantoms of Fire for Rye, New York. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, that was one of them. That was the first episode. But then uh, the Barnstable, uh, Massachusetts, where it's uh, the one that all leads back to Thomas Paine and uh, back to the American Revolution. And, and it runs, the family connections run straight through to today. Um, gotcha. People that are still in this place that never knew the, the connection. Dave? And Chris, what, what you're asking me is like having your kids line up in front of you <laughs> and say, okay, dad, which one is your favorite? I, I love each one for different parts because they're, you know, even though Whaley House, you know, I love that I got knocked on my ass. It's something I've never experienced before. It keeps me thrilled to be a part of this. But, you know, the 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 Devil in Texas episode really struck me. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I've got a tender heart. I care about people. And that one was great because I got to be there and help and watch somebody and, and 
she's kept in touch with me since the episode. So that really meant a lot to me. Uh, Barnstable was a flipping amazing story. You know, there's another one that's, uh, I can't think of the dang name of it. It was in Texas, Gabe. Do you remember the second one we did in Texas? Oh, oh the, um, the, the, brick, the brick manufacturer, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Because we capture something on film, Chris, that I think is going to blow people away. Uh, and, and in multiple ways, like three things happened simultaneously and we captured all of it. Oh, wow. And that's a beautiful, because I got to be honest with you. I was in a part of the house where I felt like nothing was happening. I, I you know, when you're doing this, you want to, you want something to happen. So you have something to present. And I kept telling the camera guy, I'm like, man, I'm sorry. This is so boring. There's nothing. I'm getting nothing. And he's like, yeah, it is what it is. And then we heard a voice and then we explore and things start to go crazy. So yeah. it's. It's pretty, pretty cool. Uh, that, but- that house in Texas in particular was interesting because I wasn't, I wanted to see if it was just a case of mass hysteria because people, cops were seeing things, tourists were seeing things, everybody was seeing stuff, but I was, I wasn't sure if it was just like people hoping to see something and it was like a little, that, that case of, you know, hive mentality, but. Yeah. Uh, Except it- cops refused to go back there. So many cops have been called there because uh, motion detector sensors and alarms would go on inside the house. Cops would get there and the door handle would start jiggling from the inside and they could see inside. There was nobody there. And it freaked out a lot of the cops and we talked to one of them uh, for the episode. So it's, yeah, when you get into places like that, man, is that exciting. Just, you got to love it. Well, especially if, for, for both of you doing your job and when you actually, it's like being a fisherman, you actually catch something. It's like, I can't believe it. That's the, the drug that keeps you wanting to do this when you actually experience some of these things. Well, and you know what? Maybe, just maybe. There's a, a very popular, well-known champion wrestler out there that might join us on an investigation if uh, we get to a further season on this. Because, Chris, I would love to take you to some of these places and give you a chance to see what's going on. And if it, if it could work out, man, I would love to have you on board for an episode because I know oh, you're, nice. you're a skeptical believer, too. And I think uh, once you see what's going on in some of these spots, it'll, it'll change you. I'll only do it if Gabe researches me and deems me worthy of going. I did really. I would just like to say before we end this, uh, just on a side note, uh, Bank of California Stadium, Fozzie opening up for Maiden, Pack Stadium. You had that entire place eating out of the palm of your hand, Chris. That was one of the best experiences I've ever had at a concert. With you, with Chad, with your cousin Chad, we went bananas. That was amazing. I was. Believable, Chris. Oh, thanks. It, it was so much fun. I didn't get a chance to see you guys afterwards. It was crazy. We were wandering out and uh, getting T-shirts, and then they wouldn't let us back into the stadium. We couldn't get backstage. They wouldn't let us back in through the gates. So Eli and I missed that. Yeah, you can't that. blame them. You and your brother look like a couple of those long-haired hippie weirdo kids. <laughs> Probably on the marijuana, and we got to get you out of here. Well, the best uh, thing is too is that Eli would never say like, you know, I direct movies. Like I could, I'm, I'm, I'm actually somebody, you know. <laughs> no, I don't think the people at the gate cared. I think they just wanted to go home anyway. Yeah, it didn't sure. wouldn't matter. Well, guys, it's great talking to you. Like I said, it's great to connect. Uh, considering I've known Gabe and I've known Dave for a while and worked together with both you guys, so it's cool. Very excited about about the show. The holes are files. And uh, I think next year they're going to do a telepic where Hans Holzer is actually played by Hal Holbrook and really (laughs) screw everybody up. (laughs) Hey, and I can't wait to get back on the Chris Jericho cruise part deux. Yes. Because we're going to have a whole bunch of new stories, stuff I can finally talk about from the show 
because it'll be over and I can go even in more in depth. I'm going to be doing a campfire tale. Uh, and thank you for bringing Tim and I on to do this. We're going to be your paranormal con- contingent. Yes. So during uh, entertainment, and I got to tell you, Gabe, we did it last year and they pit me up against all these great bands and entertainers. And I thought, who the hell's going to show up to see us? And our room was packed. Well, that's awesome. So we're looking forward to getting back on the Jericho cruise and uh, doing that this January. So thanks again for including us on that, Chris. Like I said, man, I like hanging out with with good people that believe in what they do and are good at what they do. So uh, congratulations on the show. I'm looking forward to Thank checking you. it out and I'll see you guys soon. And Gabe, we, we still got to do our, what was the next one? 80s uh, hot chicks from the eighties. Is that what the next one? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like Heather Thomas versus Heather Locklear who <laughs> wins. Uh, for sure. We got to we do that one. I'll talk to Eli about it. We got to get together and do it. All right, guys. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk to you soon and stay safe out there. There's too many ghosts. Thank you. And remember holes or files every Thursday on the travel channel. And if you like the paranormal, you can hear me on midnight in the desert and darkness radio. All that's at darknessradio.com. Thanks again, Chris. It's always a pleasure joining you. All right. See you guys soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks to Dave and Gabe. New episodes of The Holzer Files air on the Travel Channel on Thursdays at 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific 9 Central Time. Check out the show. You'll be spookily hooked. And check out Dave Schrader and the Beyond the Darkness podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Very, very creepy stuff. They do such a great job. So much so that I invited them back on Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea Part 2. Beyond the Darkness, Dave and Tim are going to be back. Uh, they're going to be telling ghost stories. He says he's got tons of great stories to share from the Holzer Files and elsewhere. Uh, remember, the cruise is completely sold out, but you can still get on the wait list at chrisjerichocruise.com. If a cabin opens up for any reason, you'll get the chance to book it and join the fun when we set sail January 20th. And just announced this week, uh, matches from the cruise when we are docked in NASA on Tuesday, uh, January 21st. Uh, January 20th? Is that the one it is? No, January 21st. We're going to be taping exclusive matches live to air on a AEW Dynamite uh, that's going to be airing on January 22nd. So you will be part of an official AEW television taping. And we announced that after the cruise is sold out. How great are we? Uh, you will be see- seeing something that's never happened before. First time ever matches uh, taking place and being recorded for national television broadcast uh, in the middle of the ocean in the port on the uh, on the cruise ship. Great, great stuff. Uh, just another example why Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea is going to be the vacation of a lifetime. All right. Thank you so much. And thank you. If you come join us on Friday. It's the return of the controversial Enzo Amore and Big Cass. You hear why they were fired from WWE at different times. How Cass recovered from his addiction issues. Uh, the scary seizure he suffered at a house of hardcore signing. Plus, Enzo talks about his upcoming music career, the falling out that he and Cass had, his uh, altercation with Joey Janela, what ultimately brought Big Cass and Enzo back and brought them back into the wrestling uh, ring. They are back, baby. Big Enzo and Cass. Uh, NZO and uh, XL. Big XL, I believe uh, they're calling themselves now. You're going to find out all about it on Friday. We will see you then. Until then, in the meantime, and in between time, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big... Yeah, boy, and beware the terror of the holes of files. <laughs> <coughs>